This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I'm talking with Eden Bidani, someone who never thought she would end up in Zero or in marketing, and she will tell you why in just a minute. Uh, she's currently a co- conversion copywriter and acquisition strategist specializing in high converting landing pages, ads, and websites. And of course, today we're going to talk about copywriting. In case you missed the previous episode, last time I spoke with Rishi Rabat about improving your bestseller sales by 20% in 90 days, and that also mainly focused on copy. If you want to listen to that episode, go to www.ciro.cafe or listen to it in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 14. Ian, welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. And of course, first, our listeners would love to know you a bit a bit better. So uh, what's your background and how did you get started uh, with uh, copywriting? Um, so I actually didn't start out with copywriting. I started out way back with anthropology and sociology, which is about studying basically good communication. And so I actually thought probably copywriting or advertising or marketing was really the furthest thing that I would ever, yeah. ever consider actually ending up in. But as would have it, you know, uh, working through working through university and I took on a sales job once over the summer, direct sales job to help pay the bills. I actually loved it. Uh, and so from here to there, I actually started working in direct sales. So I worked for five years in direct sales. I was doing telemarketing door to door. I was doing like face, old, like old school face to face product demonstrations, things like that all these kind of things to get um, to move a person from a stage of awareness from completely unaware all the way to most aware in, in with high intent in the space of anywhere from five minutes to half an hour or whatever, depending on the, the product or whatever it is you were selling. Um, and then we moved overseas and it was pretty difficult to try and find a job that I wouldn't have to spend sort of 10 hours on my day, <laughs> 10 hours a day on my feet selling um, with the young family to raise. And so then I actually realized I um, during the sales during the sales jobs, I was writing um, the pitches. I was writing sales scripts. I was using these sales scripts to teach other um, other salesmen, other salespeople how to sell. And so I realized that I could actually switch that and just do the writing part and still sell online. And so that I just kind of migrated uh, naturally over to copy. I was writing copy technically before I even knew it was called. It was a separate um, yeah. industry as itself, copywriting. Yeah, and is there still anything? Uh, you'd say you you can use from your background in in anthropology. Absolutely, absolutely. I actually um, I actually would highly recommend it for any marketer or CRO practitioner to study anthropology and sociology if they can. Yeah. What kind of elements do you do you still use? Uh, for, well, first of all, the the user research. Yeah. The and kind of you find modern kind of UX research is based on the on based on ethnography is based on that kind of sociological research that they conduct as well. Uh, you know, anthropologists what they used to do is they used to they used to speak the same language, they used to dress the same way, they used to go and travel for six months, eighteen months, to a far flung a far flung away village somewhere in the middle of virtually nowhere, and actually live as these cultures or as these people, these native, native peoples used to, to actually understand, just fully absorb themselves in the culture and actually understand how they perceive life. So it's not just what they, what they, not like a bio persona where it's like, you know, what they, what do they wear? Where do they shop? What do they, you know, what do they like to eat? And what, how much money do they make? It's actually yeah. how, how their lifestyle affects the way they interpret the world around them. And that's, and that's much, much 
much deeper than what you can get just by kind of guesstimating based on um, best based on general demographics. Um, but that's and that's what we kind of bring over today as well to copywriting. So you do user research, you do surveys, you do in-depth interviews. Interviews are the most probably powerful thing yeah. in terms of user research. Um, absolutely. And that's all and that's all kind of grounded. And it's really nice to see that these kind of, kind of things people they've been doing in other disciplines for a really long time. And now it's kind of migrating over to marketing to CRO to UX to copywriting, all these kinds of things. It's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah. So, and do you then still apply this? Uh, do, do you do the, the regular uh, user research and interviews or do you like uh, anthropologists sometimes try to become your persona, <laughs> go uh, dress like them, go shop like them? Is that <laughs> what you do? Is that the extreme you can take it to or? No, so I, there's, there's a certain way you can or you can't, but then um, having had that background in anthropology gives you a really active imagination. And so what actually the beauty of doing it online, though, too, as well as you can actually immerse yourself into these other people's online worlds yeah. without them even realizing that you're an outsider. So you can go into Reddit, you can go into Facebook groups, you can go, you can just be yourself. You don't have to give away that you're not already, one, you know, one of them. You can just go and you just listen. You're not looking there to plant any seeds you're not looking that you know to try and manipulate anything or anyone you're just looking there to listen to understand to hear what they're talking about hear how they express themselves hear how they respond to each other yeah. um, as well conducting the the interviews as well is something that's really fantastic and i encourage everyone if they can speak with their customers or their end customers uh, their clients and customers as much as possible it really gives them it gives you just so such a wealth of information that you really can't um that it's really difficult to get any other any other way and it gives you all these time you see all these little tiny fragments of ideas start to float to the surface as you yep. start to speak with people and you go that's a really interesting idea these are things that you can't discover just by doing generalized surveys or focus groups these are really interesting deep insights yeah and that can really that can really help move things forward i can imagine yeah but i can also imagine that's um uh, sometimes if you do the interviews, if you try to um, deep dive into that single person, it, it's not always uh, possible to then generalize it to the to the main business, right? So how do you make that distinction? So there's, again, there's a few different ways you can do it. So first of all, you need to, there's always a balance because especially in copyright and marketing communications, everything, it all comes down to what, you know, we have some, we have a message that we want to share with an audience and there's messages that the audience needs to hear in order to convert. And so where's that kind of, if you're looking at a Venn diagram, it's like, where's that, that sweet spot? Where's yeah. that gap between what they need to hear and what we want to say? So that's where you just try and look for where those kinds of elements cross over or see what, how you can tweak or, or kind of um, just either, either tweak or, um, rewrite the message so that it meets the expectations of the audience or meets actually where where they're at instead of trying to come top down and force a message on some on an audience that it's not going to resonate with them actually looking and see okay where can we where can we meet them where they're at where is that where do, where does it where do these points cross over yeah can you give a couple of examples uh, from I don't know recent projects uh, what, what you took from the user research and uh, what was been applied to the website. Yeah, absolutely. So there was one I did, um, it's a significant study, one I did quite a while back um, with, with an e-commerce company that they wanted to launch, um, they wanted to launch a hearing device. So what they, and now it's a really crowded market. It's not, um, it was not something that could be bought through insurance, but it's a really crowded market. There's so many things on there and there's a lot of 
stigmas, there's a lot of hard, difficult things going around. And so one of the things we realized that dug deep into the research, I dug into the forums, I dug into Reddit forums, dug into, dug into um, what people were discussing about. And a lot of the things that they were talking about with regards to the devices, it had nothing to do with the devices themselves. It was all about how the devices made them feel as a person. So it's having having to wear a hearing device. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily about the price. It wasn't necessarily about the way it looked. It was how it made them feel. Okay. So having so for example so for example having wearing a device made them feel different. And so and every and when I was comparing marketing of other companies, they were looking. Everyone was talking about it's going to be fine. You're going to do all right. Yes, it takes time to adjust to etc. 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 But no one was really adjusting addressing this kind of feeling that. Yes, it feels strange. Yes, it feels different. Yes, your hearing is not going to be 100%. It's not going to be 100% like really ever again. You're not going to be able to hear it like when you were 12 yeah. again. So we actually, and then we use that to address, we actually addressed that in the copy um, on the landing page and the product page. Was it mainly aimed for new users and how it made them feel to, to wear a device at all? Or was it about people crossing over from different brands, for example, and then looking for a different, uh, different model? Or so both. So that's kind of a message that as well that we found that we we hypothesized that would resonate with both kind of audiences. Those who weren't, who didn't want to use devices because they were a, they were um, hesitant about how it would make them feel wearing yeah. such a device, and as well the existing users who had maybe tried different devices before and had they hadn't worked as well as they they said that they would work, and so they were feeling hesitant about trying anything else at all or even not wondering if there was anything better. So two ways we adjust we tried to, we suggested to combat that was one actually addressing that problem, actually saying we know it's not. We know it's not, you know, this is not um, where you imagine yeah. what we, what you imagined your life would be like. We know this is not what you, what you had planned, um, but that's okay. And the same thing is we also addressed that we'd said it's, it's not going to make your hearing 100% perfect. It's not. Yeah. And that seemed to really resonate. Both of those messages seemed to resonate with both groups because everyone seemed to be promising crystal clear hearing this, you know, hearing like you like you did 30 years ago and all these kinds of things, but it's like, but it's, and it's not really the case. So in, in terms of the products and technology, yes, they're fantastic. But at the same time, it wasn't really, that's not really what's mattered. They're not going to be able to, what they, blah, sorry. That's a bit <laughs> similar than, uh, than the com Redo. companies, uh, companies selling like light versions of products and, and pretending they taste exactly the same, but actually they don't. <laughs> So it might, might actually help them to say, okay, it's not the same, but at least um, it, it is it's better for your it better for your body to uh, uh, to take the light version. It's not perfect, but uh, it's it's ninety five percent there. Exactly, yeah. um, it's not like literally that. It's not perfect, and it's not going to be the same. But this is going to help you get close to achieving what you want to achieve with it, and that we found was um, was really powerful. Yeah. Do do you know any? So did, was it this measured in an A B test or something or? I know that the landing page that we use those messages on is, if I'm not mistaken, it's still the control, and that's probably a year and a half on now <laughs> since we, <laughs> yeah, since we did that. Yeah. Nice. A any other experiments you want to uh, or projects you want to uh, highlight? Um, nothing in particular. I think that's a really big standout. Yeah. Um, one, it's not every day you write a control, so. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
So what would be your, your tips for people doing user reach research, uh, as in uh, doing interviews, maybe on a regular, hopefully on a regular basis? What would be uh, your tips for them to, to um, yeah, apply this more to their research and, and to really um, live whatever their, uh, their uh, uh, potential customers are living? So again, it's, it's almost one of, the, one of the hardest things to do because, you know, we come, when you come, whether you're doing CRO or marketing, wherever you, you know, you have an agenda, you're working with a company, you want to improve the conversion rates, you want to, we want to drive, deliver better user experiences, we yeah. want to drive greater revenue. We have, we have an agenda, you know, and it's really hard to put that aside and just listen um, and just listen without that kind of clouding your vision. That's what we really need to try and do. And that's the thing that makes it most powerful. So when you sit down to a user interview, you can have scripts, you can have a question, you can have something to help prompt you if you get stuck or if there's an awkward pause that just kind of doesn't finish. There, are, You can use things to help guide you and prompt you, but try and let it flow as naturally as possible. Try and make them feel comfortable. Try and be aware that you're not just trying to grill this person for information, yeah. for the information that you're looking for. You just want them to share in the most open and honest way. And so... Um, and so just to try and make them feel comfortable as well, make them feel like you're actually listening to them at the same time. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create and A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. Yeah, it can be really hard, right? If you're if you're working for the company to be unbiased uh, while doing the user research, it's actually uh, a, a case for hi just hiring someone from outside to do the user research because, well, they are less invested and it's really hard if you already have that baggage uh, from, uh, you know how the website is working, you know uh, a couple of issues maybe, uh, you know why certain things aren't working as they as they should be, and it's really hard to to set that aside uh, while doing uh, user research. Absolutely. So one of the other things is as well, but the the most incredible things can come out of doing these user interviews, of these these customer interviews. I was working with a SaaS client as well recently, and we started doing the customer interviews, and the feedback was not that good. Yeah. Like they, the, um, you know, they were, it wasn't necessarily that they were struggling the product. The product was good, but there were things around, connected to around the outside of the product that um, that made it difficult for them. So when I presented this re this information to the client, I said, look, you're not necessarily really happy. There were some good things, but there were also a few not good things. And this is something that you need to take into consideration. Yeah. So what they actually, but then using that, they were able to pivot their business model so now they're happy. The new customers they're onboarding are happy and it's less work for, for everyone involved and there's no more friction in terms of the that, that kind of user, that back end of the user experience. And so it's, um, yeah, and they're preparing to relaunch their website yeah. soon. So it's hopefully hopefully just going to keep going up and up. Um, how, how do you how do you think um, copywriting is, is different for uh, uh, web versus offline? Ah. It's um, it's different. It is and it isn't different. Um, it's funny. It was um, I wrote a post about this the other day. But it's um, we re we tend to, we we do read like we read as people. We read online and offline, 
but um, it just as long as it's interesting enough. So people will still read an old-fashioned sales letter online. Yeah. They will read it with if it's in Korean new font and it's got a yellow back yellow note paper background, and those things still convert um, for various reasons. But if the content is good enough, people will still read it. So in some ways, you need to be. There are things that you can do online. Obviously, you can test a lot more frequently, which is great. It's very easy to test, um, very agile in terms of testing. Um, you can duplicate a landing page multiple times and just change, you know, the headline and see which hooks. Just simply just test a headline or just test a CTA button copy or yeah. just test, you know, the top one-third of a landing page to see how that converts, how it hooks the reader in and can study that as well. But, um, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think. There's 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 so much, there's not, not a huge amount of difference. People read what's interesting to them, so it's just a matter of, the principles of keeping and holding their attention are the same, yeah. whether it's online or offline. Yeah. If you would work for a uh, for a new web shop, are there are there certain elements that you already know? Okay, this these have a, a big impact, whether it's like the product titles or description, call to actions. What are the what are the first things you're looking for? I'm usually looking for a headline, the headline and subheading. So, what's in the hero section? Yeah. Obviously, for any for any page, whether that's a uh, whether you know a product description page or anything else, or it's a, the front and home page of a website, and I'm looking at um, the CTA buttons and usually the micro copy because those are where those are the areas where the, where the most uh, where they're the closest to conversion. So again, the hero section is the core element that's going to keep that's it's going to keep them on the page. So once they've landed on the page, what's going to keep them there is a hero. They're not going to scroll down immediately. I mean, they're going, they're going to read the head. They are going to read the headline. So the headline yeah. has to be good. Yeah. Um, and then when they get through the page, people will scan. Um, people uh, is an interesting way. For, I forget the study, but uh, someone conducted a study once on how people read, for example, long form standing, um, long form sales pages. So they go to the headline. They'll often scroll all the way down to the bottom to look at the price, and then they'll scroll back up and start reading different sections as they pop out to them. So it's the same. So what's in the headline and what's in the uh, what's in the CTA button copy and what's in the micro copy that's next to it. So what what kind of friction are you that is there or what kind of friction are you removing in terms of um, to help the conversions move along? So again, that's coming in the headline, meeting them at the stage of awareness where they're at at the top of the page and the CTA where meeting them at the stage of awareness where they are at the bottom of the page. Yeah, so there's a definite hierarchy in how those pages, uh, uh, what people look at first second third mm-hmm. yeah and um is it is it um similar for people uh, or for for websites that actually focus on text so more like uh, news websites or, or blogs uh is it a similar approach then um uh, of compared to to web shops so again for pro- for products or for so for online stores it's slightly different because you know you're actually looking for so you're looking for information about a product whether it's with it's in new sites, it can be information about a lot of different things. It can be entertaining, it can be entertainment, it can be educational, it can, you know, it serves a lot of different purposes. So that's, um, again, when it comes to, so blah, with new, with new sites and new content and blogs, it's usually long, it's more longer, leaning towards longer form content than short form content, which is kind of what you tend to find on product description pages and the like. Um, though that's not always... <laughs> <laughs> Though there are some really great long form product description pages, 
Um, but when it comes to using blogs, so it's a matter of just how the co- how well the copy flows in terms of on the page. So we, you know, as humans, we like to read stories. Yeah. Stories excite us. Stories are always interesting. Even if then the message is educational or motivational, it's always interesting to read a story um, rather than just a dry a dry essay or a journal article or something that has no feeling whatsoever <laughs> injected into it. We've all read those. Um so it's a matter of making sure that each uh, making sure that each sentence kind of flows out of the one before it, so that it really like like as if you were opening a novel, so that you would actually want to just keep reading until you've actually read all the way through without even realizing it. Yeah, because you were you were just enjoying the read. Yeah, I, I like uh, the the way stories uh, make this uh, flow and get people uh, get people interested. But I'm wondering how you how would you apply that uh, uh, to a to a web shop when maybe you have uh, dozens of hundreds of products. Do you do you then try to focus uh, on creating one overarching story for the whole shop or whole category, or do you focus on individual products? How, how would you approach that? That's an interesting question, um, and I think it would depend a lot, obviously, on the brand and the yeah. and the and the types of products. Um, it, there's, I mean, you could <laughs> test it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just test it. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, you know, you can look at creating this overall arching story that serves kind of, it's the brand story and it's that strategic narrative kind of woven with the audience, um, you know, with that audience perspective woven in, mm-hmm. or you can look at creating separate kind of um, strategic narratives that relate to each category of product, depending on, again, what kind of business it is. Yeah. Um, like if it's cosmetics, uh, you know, if it's facial products or if it's body products or if it's, um, if it's bath products or something, there's different ways that you can structure a narrative around those. Um, but you can also have an overall, an overarching kind of narrative that explains the entire story, the, you know, why this company was founded, but not, not exactly why this company was founded. Yeah. Sometimes the, uh, the product isn't necessarily that special, right? Maybe it's, it's more about the brand story, And the, the the products itself are not that different. Um, I mean, I once worked for a, a shop, uh, and we did a, a user test where we just removed all the descriptions uh, from all the products, and we, it actually converted better. Uh, but the so we didn't end up uh, removing all those descriptions. We, it was just a, a, like a message to the copywriter saying, "Hey, <laughs> what we have right now isn't working." Uh, and, and it was actually based on, on user research where we saw that people uh, complained about, well, about the, uh, the, the copy, the, specifically the, the, the product descriptions, uh, where they said, well, this product description might as well be a product description of any other product on your website. It's so generic. It doesn't add any value. Then you can just uh, leave it behind. Right. So again, in that sense as well, um, it's, but, With that in consideration, it can be really hard to create a story for every single product. Yeah. If you have hundreds of SKUs, you know, it's really hard to do. It's it's a huge investment to go in and kind of create uh, a story or create um, that element. I know they have to do it with things like perfumes because how do you communicate the value of a scent um, when you can't actually smell it and you're still buying yeah. it online? So, for example, for perfumes or for products that usually that include taste and smell, having that story element is really important. Whereas for other things that are, I guess, more technical or practical in nature, or even things like the hand cream, how do you apply the hand cream? What's it got in it? How does it help? Etc. That has that kind of um, practical application. Yeah. 
um, it can be a little bit it can be a little bit different. So usually the product description is kind of more technical based on how uh, based on the different use cases. Whereas, um, but then you would kind of it would be ideal to have kind of a narrative for the type of category of products, and then actually explain how each product fits into that overall kind of overall narrative, rather than trying rather than necessarily having to create a separate story for hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of products. Yeah, if you're selling, uh, if you're a hardware store and selling nuts and bolts, I mean, you're not going <laughs> to create a, a different uh, story for each product. Yeah. But I, I like your example of the of the of a perfume, but th- that's also very subjective. I mean, uh, how, how sure. something smells. So, how, how do you go about creating a, a story for some for like a, like something like a perfume? Do you then do user interviews and actually get people to smell and, and just see what they come up with? Uh, how do they uh, describe this, the the smell? Or that's a really interesting question. I haven't yet had the chance to work on on perfume specifically, so I'm not sure ex- exactly how that would how that would play out. First of all, I would do user interviews because I would love to hear what the customers yeah. are saying beyond that kind of one-line testimonial like it was great yeah. <laughs> exclamation mark like, like there's there's not you can't get much from that um so I would really like to hear what they what they really think of it what the unboxing experience was like what perfume kind of meant for them and symbolized for them kind of beyond um beyond just yeah. um, how it made it you know that encompassing story as well how it made them feel while they were wearing it as well not just um not just how it smelled yeah so and then try and then try and reverse engineer that back into high converting coffee. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. What, what would you say, uh, what would you have as a, as a tip for the, for the CRO community? I mean, uh, you, you work with uh, uh, CRO uh, specialists. So what would you um, give as a tip to us as a community on, uh, on how, to, how we can improve uh, um, you know, our effectiveness in, uh, when working with websites and, and copy? Um, yeah, so that one tip would just be just to, to try and put your agendas aside. Try and put the fact that you want uh, more ideas for tests or that you want yeah. to... You know that you want to drive better user experience, that you want to to make greater revenues. Try to avoid that seeping into what into the research as much as possible. Just go out with the idea, just to learn. You want to just learn as much about the people that um, the people that buy this product or the people that you know that visit this website. You just want to learn as much as possible, and that includes trying to figure out ways to how to get to them. Again, um, someone I know recently referenced a study where they said that people don't like pop-ups. On site, so even survey pop-ups, most people, a lot of people find them really annoying, and so maybe not every type of person or every type of personality within that target audience is actually going to answer a survey pop-up because a lot of people find it annoying. So how can you actually reach the right kind of users? How can you actually just talk to a wide range of users? Actually find um, and just try and put your agenda aside and just listen to what they have to share, and you can find so many incredible ideas coming out 
of that. And then so you take just these, I take this golden handful of ideas and then you look at what you want to test and you go, oh, this is really easy. Like this, we can, we can test this, we can test this in the copy, we can test this next to the CTA button, we can, people were seeing friction here, people were this here, and that just really just develop, um, yeah. develop a robust, robust test from it. Try to keep an open mind. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't ask too much uh, questions. Don't uh, just let them play around with your websites. Let them make mistakes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we all look at trying to remove friction. Yeah, as in terms of creating better user experiences, but sometimes strategically creating friction can actually drive a better user experience, or it can, and not just for the client, not just for the end customer, but for the company as well. It can help qualify the leads better. It can help uh, the customers. Um, segment themselves, for example, and find out that it's not right for them. There's yep. sort of like, again, mistakes can be a good thing in the process. We always talk about, again, zero friction. Let's make it smooth as possible. Let's convert everyone coming through. But it's actually not always the case. Sometimes we do need to make, let them make those mistakes to actually, and people will actually be forgiving as well. Sometimes if a link is broken, they will click right. They won't just all abandon the page straight away. Some people do have more patience than others. So it's always interesting to to watch people and just to just to hear them and watch what they do. Yeah, it can be a way to uh, to select your customers, especially I think if if your website is not the endpoint, um, but if you do, for example, lead generation, uh, creating more steps in a form, for example, um, could could um, well could block the users that are not interesting anyway. And if if you just have a simple form with with, with uh, just an email address and and submit. You might have hundreds of uh, of people submitting that are not interesting, but if you have to, if, there might be a cost to to uh, each lead that gets in, right? If you have to follow up on those, for example, there's a cost uh, connected to that, and that might not be the best, uh, of, yeah, the best way to handle that. Absolutely. Well, it's the same with e-commerce. So a lot of you know, one popular acquisition strategy is to have a 10% off coupon or yeah. a 15% off coupon for most new people that come to the site, but what does the effect of that coupon have on the on the long of the customer lifetime value of those users? Do they actually then see? Does it actually devalue the devalue the quality or the the devalue the product in their eyes or things that they're selling? Yeah. You know, what kind of impact does that have on long term? Will they just be freebie seekers and they will only buy when there's a sale on, or will they actually buy become actually fall deeply in love with the product and will buy whenever they've run out? So that's that's again something to something to test. Um, yep. Again, strategic creating fiction, removing the ten percent coupon, giving it to people, or giving out more coupons to people who buy more, can actually work in in the reverse. It might take you longer to win those initial customers, but then the customer lifetime value is going to yep. can be much greater. Yeah, I, th I think the difficulty there, uh, the the practical challenge there for many CROs is that we all know this. <laughs> but, the, yeah. the, but the problem is that uh, the, the thing you have in your dashboard is conversions and average order value from today, yeah. <laughs> from last week, for last month, whatever. Uh, lifetime value is, is much harder uh, to accurately uh, say, and it's also with an A-B test. Uh, if I, mm -hmm. uh, with, with example, with the, uh, with the discounts, if I run uh, no discounts for a month, uh, that might be uh, a lower value then, but actually when I do run a discount, I might have much increased sales because the customers now know, oh shit, I need to pay attention <laughs> if they actually have a discount. Uh, so um, uh, there might be more sales when you have a discount 
I mean, eventually have a discount and you might have higher value customers because of those periods that you don't have a discount. And that's really hard to calculate, of course. So a lot of uh, CROs and, and I guess e-commerce managers then fall into the trap to look at uh, just the short-term data. So that, I think that's uh, that's uh, that's tough for everyone uh, to make those decisions, but it's definitely something we all need to work towards and um, uh, keep keep everyone at the company, um, uh, remind them that it's about lifetime value, not just what we made uh, this month. Yeah, absolutely. And again, or not just what we did today or in a week or in yeah. any any one period of time. I mean, it's it's something dif- it's something difficult, but if you if you're working with the right kind of people and if you can explain that as well that we are looking to we're looking to prevent freebie seekers from coming on board yeah. we're looking to prevent so that you don't you know um so that your you know your customer acquisition cost might initially be higher but then over the long period of time it really just it just pays off yeah. so again a lot the you know the big wins are nice the big wins, the numbers are great everyone likes to show off you know good numbers we got this lift and we got that lift it's great and that's good because that's what we're supposed to do <laughs> We're supposed to, that's what we're looking that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to drive lift we're supposed to drive revenue and drive engagement that's fine but in terms of looking at those numbers versus what's your true end goal in terms of helping the company that's where we need to look at um and then again re- just assess what we're doing at each and every stage to make sure that we are following in that right direction and you know there's so many great tactics out there there's so many way different you know there's so many ways you can execute on a single idea so it's just about making sure that it kind of that it really is in in alignment with your clients and goals yeah exactly uh Ida, thank you so much um you were recommended by uh, or to me by uh, rishi rabat uh do you also have a recommendation uh, uh for me on who to talk to for an uh, for an upcoming episode I have quite a few have you interviewed um juliana jackson from omni convert oh no not yet i know her I haven't interviewed her yet. Yeah, she would be fantastic. Good one. I'll I'll put her on the, on the list. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Eden. Um, yeah, our time is already up. Uh, thanks for uh, for sharing this uh, with us, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. No worries. All right. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And this concludes season three, episode fourteen of the Zero Cafe podcast with Eden Bidani. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Shiro Cafe website for some links to additional information on today's topic. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Steen Rasmussen and we'll be talking about data activation and how to supercharge the customer journey with analytics data. Talk to you then and always be optimizing.